Welcome to Coffee Table Mythos. I'm Eliza. And I'm Leah. Grab your favorite beverage and let's talk myths. So what you got today to drink? <laughs> You're like looking at me like, what? No, I like to drink. <laughs> what are you drinking? I'm drinking whatever you made with my French vanilla creamer in my hydrangea cup that I got at a gotcha aisle in <laughs> TJ Maxx. Because <laughs> it has flowers on it. It's Pink, purple, and blue, so they got me good. Oh, nice. What you drinking? Basically the same thing, but it's like, I made the the pot, I think, at 6 this morning. No, like 6.30. Mm-hmm. And it's now 10.15. And it's actually still, like, it's like the perfect temperature to drink without having to wait. But it's a Franken coffee. I mixed um, Folgers Noir with Eve Dallas coffee from Boonesboro <laughs> and Dunkin' Donuts caramel. And Folgers regular. <laughs> so it's like super Franken coffee. It is just getting to be fall weather outside. Yes. Like overnight. Yesterday it was a bit warm. Like I had to be outside a little bit during the day. And I was like, none of this. And then this morning I wake up and I'm like smacked in the face with that wind though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I love the weather. I just wasn't expecting it. <laughs> Okay, so as a special for the month of October, each week we're going to talk about the different cultural practices that occur through each mythos or um, region that we normally talk about. Mm -hmm. Now, whether it happens during that same time of the year or not, it depends on the culture. First thing with Celtic, it does, because it's... Sewen. Yes. Sewen. So for anybody who's not familiar, Sewen is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. And it is celebrated from the dusk of October 31st into the dusk of November 1st. And the word Sewen comes from the Celtic word for the month of November, which is, again, Sewen. I did not know that. See, this is why I had you going. <laughs> I was like, um, there's stuff I probably researched and didn't know about. Okay, so what I researched is that it was it's a Gaelic festival marking the end of the fall harvest season and beginning of the winter, or known as the darker half of the year. It traditionally ran from October 31st, as you said, to November 1st, as the Celtic day began and ended at sunset. Mm-hmm. Historically, it was observed throughout Ireland, Scotland, and the Isle of Man. It was the first of four seasonal festivals. I'm not listing all the other ones because I know I'm going to butcher them. You know them. I do not. (laughs) If you want to list them, you can. No, that's fine. No, I was going to say. So there's Imbolc, there's Bieltana, and there is Lunasa. Yes, see, that's the one I can't say. That's (laughs) the hard one because there's a lot of the the silent GHs in it. Right. (laughs) One of the, it was also one of the most significant of four quarterly fire festivals where after the harvest was done, people celebrating would join with a druid priest to light a community fire using a wheel that caused friction and sparked flames. The wheel represented the sun and was used with prayers and they've sacrificed cattle. I'm sorry, Mama Llama, for listening <laughs> to that part. They sacrificed cattle and celebrants would take a flame from this communal bonfire back to their home to light their home hearths. Which was used as part of, like, banishment of bad energies through the year. Yes, it was seen as a cleansing ritual. (laughs) And 
regarding the the cattle, a lot of the communities were herdspeople. This was the time of year when they would bring down the herds and they'd have to decide which ones were they were keeping and which ones they were storing for the, the winter. winter. Yes, perfect. Early texts, though, say that this was a three-day and three-night mandatory celebration where the community was required to show themselves to local kings or chiefs, and the failure to do so would give you a punishment from the gods in the form of illness or death. In Ireland, they also decorated holiday thrones for commanders of soldiers, and anyone that committed a crime or used their weapon during the celebration would more than likely receive a death sentence. Okay, so it was seen as a time when the boundary between this world and the other world were more easily crossed. The bonfires were seen to have cleansing powers, mm -hmm. and the... how do you pronounce that? I'm not sure about the first part, but it, the second part would be she. Okay. Um, also known as the fairies or the yes. spirits. They were believed to need to be propitiated, which I had to look it up because I don't know big words, uh, which means appeasing or will disposing of a deity to ensure the livestock and people survive the winter. Right. So they would put out gifts. Exactly. Offerings of food and drink were left outside for the fae. I just put it as the fae because it's easier. It's a lot <laughs> easier to say. Souls of the dead were also believed to revisit their homes seeking hospitality. Feasts occurred and souls of dead kin had a place set at the table for them. Mumming, which is where folk plays performed by actors, and guising were involved where people went door to door in costume or disguise reciting verses in exchange for food. This may have been a way to disguise themselves from the fae or Celtic monsters that were seen during sowing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the people that were guising were gathering food for like a big festival. That's actually pretty cool. Now, the common Celtic monsters associated with Sowen are the Puka, mm -hmm. Lady Gwyn, mm -hmm. the Dullahan, and lastly, the Underfolk, also known as the Wild Hunt. They are more so known as another name, but to utter their name is believed to bring about their attention. So I will just spell it out for our listeners. S-L-U-A-G-H. They're also referred to as the host or unforgiven dead. They would come from the West, enter homes, and steal people's souls. But we're going to get to that later. Is there anything else you want to talk about with Sowen? So, some people in Ireland, Scotland, the Isle of Man, still do practice or follow these festivals throughout the year. But another group of people that are generally celebrating Sowen are people who are now Irish pagans and neo-pagans, Wiccans, mm -hmm. things like that. And the celebration depends completely on the people. Right. So some are more, they try to be more historically accurate, mm -hmm. while others incorporate other things. Traditionally, they do use the bonfires. Mm-hmm setting out food for the fae or for your beloved deceased kin. So I'm actually going to touch on that a little bit. There are many famous Celtic myths that begin or have something to do with Sowen. For example, the Second Battle of Magturid, portraying the conflict between the Celtic pantheon known as the Tuatha de Danann and evil oppressors known as the Fulmor. Here the battle was said to unfold over Sowen. In the Middle Ages, bonfires were more personalized and held near farms to protect families from fairies and witches. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing that would happen around Selen is a lot of types of divination, but it wasn't just one type. There are many types of divination. So some types had to do with the Selen fires. Mm. And then, for example, there was one particular one where the village would put rocks around the fire and do the ritual. And then if any of the rocks had like gotten out of place during it, Mm -hmm. they would believe that that person was going to fall ill or pass away that year. (gasps) That's sad. But there were other types as well. There were a lot trying to figure out who your future spouse would be. I did not know that. So there were ones that had to do with food. There were these these really dry, salty cakes that they would make. Oh, okay. And the person who wanted to know who their future spouse would be would eat it right before bed and not drink anything. And then in their dreams, the person who offered them a drink to quench their thirst was said to have been the person that they would marry. Interesting. Yes. So there's lots of little rituals that had to do with sewing, but there were also larger rituals where every so many years, and depending on what you're reading depends on what the year number was. I saw six, I also saw three, and I saw nine. But every, we'll just go with nine years, the leading class would gather and come up with the new laws for the following nine years. Oh, wow. And then if you broke any of those laws during the nine years, you would be banished. Oh my gosh. So it was also a little bit of like a... Not legal system. Well, yeah, I guess. It it was partly like a legal system. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you also know that prior to pumpkins being used as jack-o'-lanterns, they used turnips? I did hear about that. (laughs) They would carve turnips and they embedded them with coal. And then later on, they were switched to pumpkins to make the jack-o'-lanterns. Very interesting. Um, Christians attempted to do away with the festival multiple times. It ain't gonna work, guys. And it failed. It failed miserably. Um, Pope Boniface of the 5th century tried moving it to May 13th, but people still celebrated October and November, right? <laughs> Your face said everything. She was just like, what? Yeah. Um, the ninth Pope, Gregory, moved the celebration back and incorporated All Saints Day and All Souls Day, which is now November 1st and 2nd. Yes. I thought it was really intriguing how they have the place set for the family and stuff. It reminded me a bit of, like, Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. Because I grew up in Southern California, where that was, like, a really part, big part of the culture there. And, um, well, from people from Mexico and such. And I thought it was really kind of cool, because you're, like, paying homage to the people that are no longer with you, and that you loved. And I thought that was really nice. And, mm-hmm. like, to know that there was actually a tradition like that in that culture is actually kind of cool because it's like seen almost like around the world really it really is around the world in the older cultures you just know have to know where to look for it Mm -hmm. we love halloween we love sewing and we are looking forward to sewing this year especially it's gonna be very special time for us and anybody who is interested in lunar cycles this sewing is extra special because it's also on a full moon, yes. which does not happen very often. And because October is a month that has 31 days, it's not just any full moon. It is also a blue moon. That because is so cool. It is the second moon, full moon in the month. So it's going to be fantastic. I'm pretty ecstatic about it. 
Okay, guys, so I think that's pretty much what we've got for Soen. There are a lot of myths that are associated with Soen that either begin or lead to... That date. That date, yeah. And there's also a lot... There's, like, burial mounds in Ireland. Yes. I believe Scotland, where they line up with... The celestial bodies on Sowen, so on. on or near Sowen. Mm-hmm. I thought it was quite intriguing reading mm-hmm. a little bit about that too. But this month, I want to point out that we're not probably going to be posting two pieces of art. We're probably only going to do one because it'd be hard to paint like festivals. Yeah, that's really what it what it was. So it's like I'm gonna we're gonna probably paint one picture per week that has to do with something from our research. So just be ready for that um, in case you're all wondering when you're looking at our pictures. But with that, we're going to take a a short break and we will be back with both of our tales and creatures for this week. And we're back. So for the creature, I decided to do the puka because it is relevant to sewing. It can be spelled P-U-C-A, P-O-O-K-A, P-H-O-U-K, etc., etc. Dang, that's a (laughs) lot of different spellings. It comes from the old Irish word puka, P-U-C-A, which means goblin, and it could bring either good or bad luck. Oh, that's not too bad. The puka is a shapeshifter, and it can take any form that it chooses. So it's not set to one type. Sometimes it runs across the land in the form of a dark horse with a long flowing mane and glowing gold eyes. The only way you'd be able to tell the difference between it and a glashian is whether or not the mane is wet. Right. And then it can also show itself as a dog, a rabbit, a goblin, or even as an old man. So whatever the form they choose, they are capable of human speech. And they like to spin tall tales, sometimes to the detriment of the human listening to them. Hmm. Puka will only show up at night and like to create mischief when they appear. But there's no records of a puka physically hurting a human, so they're more mischievous than malicious. Okay, that's not terrible. They like rural areas and mountains, and every county in Ireland has their own puka. What? So throughout Ireland, there are these small pools of water that are called puka holes, or polopuka, which means puka hole or demon hole. Mm. And some of these are the headwaters of major rivers, like the River Luffy and the River Bon. Oh. During the Christianization of Ireland, some of these puka holes were renamed St. Patrick's Well. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, a common tale of the puka is the drunken ride home. What? In it, an inebriated individual is making their way home from the pub. The puka, in its horse form, invites the drunk to get on its back. Once they are seated, it takes off in a mad dash and intentionally terrorizes the rider by jumping hedges, rocky outcroppings, and by making death-defying leaps. 
when pre-dawn arrives the rider is tossed from the horse and then has to find their way home oh my gosh <laughs> so possibly where their mischievousness to maliciousness part comes in is that on these wild rides, they weren't necessarily paying the most attention to where they were going, so they might have trampled crops or knocked down fences. Okay, that makes sense. So they got kind of a bad rep. Got it. So other counties have puka that will stop and chat with you. Oh. They give advice and sometimes even grant you a prophecy. Puka have influenced architecture. In some rural communities, there are houses that have a bench on the right-hand side of the door. The gatepost on the right will be worn smooth, while on the left there will be rocky bits. This is because nice puka will sit on the smooth part, while mischievous puka will favor the rocky part, thus giving you foresight into who you're dealing with. Okay. They tend to favor the same opening phrase when getting your attention. You are new here, I think, they say. Many years ago, I used to live in this house. He then may continue on about how the family lost its fortune and fell into ruin, or how they were swindled out of their hearth and home. However, when it's time for him to leave, he just disappears without saying goodbye, leaving you to wonder if you had even met him or just dreamed the entire thing. So during Sowen, the harvest festival on October 31st to November 1st, people would leave a little bit of the harvest in the field. This was called the Puka's Share, and November 1st was considered Puka's Day, and the parts left for the Puka are meant to appease them so that he does not do anything too mischievous. So still mischievous, but not too badly. Yes. Oh, got it. Other beliefs are that it, if it is raining on a sunny day, like a kitsune wedding, <gasps> it is said a puka will certainly appear that night. Wow. And also that if berries are killed by frost, it's actually caused by puka spitting on them and you shouldn't eat them because it the spit renders them poisonous. Ew. I know. <laughs> That's nasty. But a good, you know, moral, don't eat frostbitten berries because you might get sick. It takes away from the, the wonder when it happens. Like, now I'm never going to see frosted berries the same way again. Thanks. <laughs> I live to ruin things for you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're wa that's wonderful. I'm going to be like, oh, it's a wonderful wintry morning. And it's like frostbit and everything. And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, polka spit. Thanks. <laughs> Not everything, just berries. I'm. That's what I meant. <laughs> that's what I meant. Like, I'll go buy berries. I don't know where, but at some point, and we frostbit, and I'm like, oh, it's so pretty, it's like winter, and you'll be like, ah, poke a spit in my head. That's what I'm going to think about. You'll, be like, hey, you'll just hear, you'll hear my voice just ruining things. <laughs> Not all the time, just that one, <laughs> that one instance. I'll be like, well, that's done. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we always say, in present times, the puka spirit can be found in movies like Donnie Darko, in the guise of the bunny. Oh, okay. And in TV shows like Into the Dark, there was an episode with one. Hmm. And in the early 90s, there was a music duo called Puka from the UK. I did not know that. I know. More stuff for you to look into. Of course. My music person. And that's what I have on the Puka. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm going to discuss the Underfolk. 
thing that shall not be named. Yes, also known as the Wild Hunt. If you've ever played any of, well, the newest Witcher games, you will know of the Wild Hunt. They were known originally as Fae Gone Amok, which were Fae with no reason, loyalty, or mercy. Mm. Eventually, from what I have researched, they were seen as generally evil people welcome neither in heaven or hell or the other world. Once, like, Christianity entered Ireland, this is what they were kind of transformed into as a view. Um, they fly in groups, like flocks of birds from the west, known to enter the home of a dying person to carry their soul away. This is why west-facing windows were kept closed. They also could kidnap innocent souls... And they would appear as ominous flocks of large ravens or birds, and all that would be seen are undulated, which means smooth up and down motions, of, of shadows when an attack occurred. Although usually they were from the west, there were two means to summon them. Merely uttering their S name that I will not mention, or silent hopelessness of one's heart. Think Howell's moving castle when he got upset over his hair. <laughs> you remember from the Kusi episode, mm -hmm. the Knight Matilda of the Welsh lore yes. was a part of the Wild Hunt. Yes. Yes, that too. The only way to dissuade them, or the Wild Hunt, from you is to place someone else in their path. Oh, that's messed up! Isn't it? It's like, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to save my skin and put somebody else over here. I mean, that's rude. Uh, witnessing them is not a death sentence. Good. Can be blocked or evaded by running indoors after dark or not walking alone in a secluded or unpopulated area. Generally smart things to do anyway. Right. If you are taken, you are doomed to circle darkened skies stealing souls for eternity with the rest of the wild hunt. So you don't want to be taken. No. No. But at least you're not alone. That's an... A way to look at it. Um, <laughs> it's described to have leathery wings, skinny bony body resembling a human, bony claws, and they supposedly emerge from a hellgate of Ireland known as the cave of Curahan in, I'm hoping I say this right, Connaught, which opens and unleashes them on Soen. Nice! Yes. They're largely mentioned in Scotland and Ireland, but there are accounts of descriptions similar to the Wild Hunt found in Germany, France, Czech, Polish, Scandinavia, and Russian cultures. Wow. Some believe the sight of them was a prelude to war or a widespread terrible catastrophe. One article I read suggested Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven may have been in a way referencing the hunt with references to the soul and shadow in the poem. I thought that was intriguing. Hmm. They're also mentioned in the book The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries by W.Y. Evans Wentz, which tells of the stories collected by him while traveling through Ireland and Scotland and England from 1908 to 1910. And there's like multiple accounts throughout all of those areas of the hunt. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've got on The Wild Hunt. When you were saying, like, kind of, like, darkly inclined fairy, mm -hmm. I was thinking of the Unseelie Court. They actually mentioned did that. Did they? They did mention that they are part of the Unseelie Court. Definitely makes sense. Yeah. Yep. I was like, what in the world? But, you know, I'm not messing with, like, possibly saying their actual name. Right. 
Because I don't need any of that on on Soen this year. No. I don't. So that is the creature that shall not be named. Yes, the creature that shall not be named. All right. Reminders, everybody. Make sure to check out our art for this week's creature on our Instagram at Coffee Table Mythos. If you want to share any of your art on these creatures, make sure to use our hashtag Coffee Table Mythos so that we and our followers can check them out. And while we are doing less art this month, you should definitely feel free to do any rendition of art that you like about what we're talking about. And tag us in it so we can, like, you know, share it on our stories, maybe give you some exposure. As always, if you have any stories or requests, please email us at coffeetablemythos at gmail.com. And remember to mention if you want a shout out of either a name or handle and where to find you, or if you would like to remain anonymous. You can also find us on our Facebook page, Coffee Table Mythos. You can message us on here as well. Check out our merch on Teespring at teespring.com slash store slash coffee dash table dash mythos. We are adding more listings as we research more creatures and make more art. If you would like to donate to us, you can on anchor.fm slash coffee table mythos, or you can become a patron through patreon.com slash coffee table mythos. For right now, all donations will go to making this podcast better. Thank you so much for listening. Please give us a like, follow, subscribe, share, and review our podcast if you have the time. We are interested in what you have to say. This is Coffee Table Mythos. We'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.